Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, dear members of this congregation, and especially dear family and loved ones of Jerry, especially you, her children and grandchildren, grace, mercy, and peace to you all from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. The gospel lesson that I chose for today is quite long. There are other accounts that could be chosen that relate to how Jesus raised the dead. Only a week from this coming Sunday, we have appointed for us to hear from Luke chapter 7 about the young man whom Jesus raised from the dead as he was being carried out for his burial outside of the village of Nain and how Jesus gave him back to his mother who was a widow. It is a succinct story and an impressive telling of Jesus' great compassion for those who mourn expressed so powerfully by his divine ability to help. But life is not always so succinct, nor do our needs always seem so pressing. The woman in Nain was a widow who had no material support without her son. Jesus saw her and had the kind of compassion that only God can have, and yet no one failed to pity her. Her life was, by some measurements, worse than over. It was still bound to be long and dreadful and impoverished and sad and lonely. Jesus took notice of her as she was followed by a great crowd, even as he himself was followed by a great crowd. Her predicament was impressive enough in the midst of this crowd, in the chaos of all the shouting and weeping and marching about for Jesus' eye to see her and for her to touch his heart. Young man, he said to her son, I say to you, arise. Now that's a good succinct drama there, but the woman in the story we just heard, well, she would not presume to expect Jesus to take such dramatic notice of her. Oh no, a man's daughter was dying. Jesus was heading over to heal her. She would not stand in the way. She would not slow him down. She had a sense of perspective. She would not let her felt need be blown out of proportion as though Jesus should pay her any mind while on his way to rescue a little girl from death. But you know, it was her need. And she did feel it. And as we learned, Jesus felt it too. Just because other people's problems are bigger than yours doesn't change the fact that your problems are still yours. Just because other people's loss is greater than yours doesn't mean that you have not lost something too. Your mother, your your grandmother, was 92 years old. What perspective ought you to have that should comfort you in your grief? What the other people have it worse? that she at least got to live a long and excellent life? Well, this simply will not do to comfort you when it hurts the most. As you survey the rest of your life and see that she will not be present for you in the years to come, or as you reflect on your life so far lived and consider how you will never get back what you once had. Sentimental reminiscence may be somewhat cathartic, but it cannot transform your grief and loss into hope and joy. Know the perspective you need to have begins by acknowledging three things. First, that death is a great enemy. 
It is not something to make peace with or turn into something it's not. Death is never a little problem. Whether swift or slow, whether for young or old, death must be taken seriously, both as to its cause and to its evil. Death is the wages of sin. It is the end of life and breath. We need death to be conquered. We need a savior. Second, our perspective must acknowledge that only God has power to undo death. Only God can reclaim those whom death so boldly and callously snatches from us. It is God, after all, who has loosed this monster on humanity on account of our own rebellion. So it is only God who must also call him back. God reveals and exercises his power and authority to call back the beast, death, through his son, Jesus Christ, whom he sent to make our mortal life his own, to live a life that death had no right to claim, and yet to die for our sins. By rising again, Jesus won immortal life for sinners through the forgiveness that he earned. He who faced our judgment and gave himself into death in our place did so to destroy death for us by taking away its sting. And the sting is taken away when he makes peace between you and God. Death cannot be tamed or bartered with any more than sin. It must be conquered and destroyed. Jesus is our Savior from death by saving us from our sin. Third, our perspective must also acknowledge that this same Jesus who still lives and reigns to address such tremendously cosmic problems that this same Jesus who is always on his way to accomplish something great and pressing, that this same Jesus always has time for you. He makes haste to deliver us, as we sing in the psalm. He is always making haste to help someone, but he is never in the sort of hurry that he is unable to stop and ask when passing you by, who touched my clothes? And she who dared not waste the master's time, but only figured she would reach out and touch his garment so that he could get on his way and help someone else with a bigger problem, see how she was treated. Jesus stopped everything, exactly what she was trying to avoid. She thought she was in trouble. She fell on her face and confessed the whole truth, St. Mark says, and nothing but the truth. And at her confession, her Lord smiled with marvel and approval and said, Daughter, your faith has saved you. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Was this not something cosmic? Was this not something pressing? Jesus thought it was. His disciples seemed almost to mock his focus on her, but he was focused on her. Upholding all things by the word of his power, as the Bible says he does, could not stop him from paying mind to this lady and her silent problem. So how could his errand with Jairus prevent him? And yet we see that with this intermission of Jesus heading to Jairus' house, Jairus' little daughter died. Her life ended and Jairus' world collapsed. All frustration with Jesus and even with this woman seemed justified in the moment. Jesus should have had a more balanced perspective very trouble that she did not want her trouble to cause seemed indeed to have happened. But Jesus was unconcerned about it. 
While he was still speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? And what does Jesus do? He tells Jairus not to be afraid. Only believe. Do what this here woman did. Did her trouble go unnoticed? Was her trouble far smaller than your own? But I noticed it. Could it have waited? But I saved her by making her trouble mine. Has your trouble now become too great for me? Her issue was not too small for me. How can your trouble be too great? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. This is the appointed gospel lesson for this coming Sunday. Jesus tells us to seek the kingdom first. He tells us to seek to be taught how and why he rules over us by pure grace, and how this kingdom of grace is even greater than his kingdom of power. He tells us to seek his righteousness and promises that all these other things that worry us will be freely added. Jesus tells us to seek these first because he sought them first. He was more intent on teaching this poor woman what great things her faith did for her than anything else. He was more intent to teach her, who had already been healed anyway, than he was to prevent a little girl from dying. That's quite the perspective. And look, did Jesus not also manage to accomplish for Jairus what seemed to the multitudes and even to this poor woman to be more pressing? Our Lord's arm was not shortened just because he stopped to teach her. And his arm is not shortened for you. You find his arm extended and strengthened precisely and most especially where he stops and teaches you. And he is able to address your deepest need by teaching you about sin and grace, faith and love and eternal salvation. It seems like other things in our lives may need to be addressed more urgently. But we're wrong. Jesus stops for the poor woman and Jesus stops for you. He can do all these things later. Right now, he wants you to know what he told this woman. Your faith has saved you. Jesus let the little girl's problem get bigger before he managed to help her, and so may yours. He made a 12-year-old girl wait. He may make you wait, too. But it is no trouble for him. Believe it. He says with confidence, Why make this commotion and weep? This child is not dead, but sleeping. It is almost like he's mocking their sorrow, but he isn't. He is mocking doubt. He is mocking showy hysterics. And he is teaching us to have his perspective. He is redirecting our worry into faith. So after putting everyone out of the house, he raised the little girl. St. Mark records the original language to reveal the familiarity and tenderness of Jesus and the fact that this really happened. Talitha kuni, little girl, I say to you, arise. It seems now like the height and focus of our story, doesn't it? Finally, what began in the beginning comes to its completion, but no, Jesus strictly commands them to tell no one and to give her something to eat. 
Do we see how persistently focused he is on what seems mundane and trivial? Do we not see how undistracted, even here, he is in being mindful of what? How hungry she must be? And we let these things distract us. It's amazing. Even in filling our greatest need, he attends to the smallest. But tell no one. Simply rejoice and eat together as a family again. No one should know of this. The Holy Spirit gave special permission, though, for the holy evangelists to break the silence by telling us, and thank God he did, for this is the point. Jesus does not want us to flock to him for great signs and wonders. More than he wants us to eat as a family, he wants us to eat with his. He wants us to learn from the bread of life how we, too, might rise again. Jesus does not want us to wait for our troubles to be big enough to merit his attention. He wants us, even in the meekest and even weakest of faith, to reach out in confidence and touch his clothing. Grab hold of him in any way you can. When he is passing by, with every quiet moment you have to pray, most certainly, and so much more with every busy moment, when he is publicly teaching his church, take hold of instruction. Touch his garment. Receive what only he can give you. Confess to him when he stops and looks at you. That is when his inquisition seems to stop the noise and call on you to give an answer. Tell the truth about yourself. Tell the whole truth, for he already knows it. And hear the truth about him. He is your savior. He wants you to know it. Yes, our lesson was a long one. But Jerry's life was a long one. I think our lesson is such a lovely story. I enjoyed fleshing it out. And your mother was a lovely woman whom I enjoyed getting to know. I am busy myself, but I never wasted my time in Jerry's home because Jesus wasn't wasting his. Her life was a long life, and it was a good life. And the lesson we just considered with its seemingly chaotic and distracting interruption we see what makes a long life a good life. It is a life that makes bold to approach Jesus and expect from him what you need from him. And it is to know what you need and to know that getting it from him is never a waste of anyone's time, least of all God's, and certainly not yours. He who made time came in the fullness of time to redeem us from sin, sickness, sorrow, death, and hell. We redeem our time by learning from him what our faith is worth. By seizing the good conscience he gives to us in the forgiveness of our sins. And at the end of time, it is Jesus himself who will recall all his dear sons and daughters from their graves. For now, he says that they are all merely sleeping. Do not be afraid. Believe it. It is what Jerry believed when her husband died. And she was widowed and her troubles were great. It is what she believed when your sister died and her world came to an end. It was by believing this about them that she faced her own death, her greatest trouble, as though falling asleep in Jesus. Because she was prepared only by the gospel to face life itself, to continue going knowing that God would take care of every need besides. She sought first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, 
and what a wonderful life she continued to live. Jesus does not see her death as a small problem. Though when a woman dies at 92, it might seem like a small problem to the world. And he does not see your loss as a small problem. He sees both as equally worth addressing. And he addresses both with the same powerful promise. He saw her death as a problem worth stopping heaven and earth to fix. He who gave himself for the world had this death in mind. And he had yours in mind too. He died for Jerry's sins. He died for yours. He died for the world's. And he who wiped away her tears, and you saw it, wants you to believe it too, so that you too might be comforted now and forevermore. In Jesus' name, amen. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding shall keep our hearts and minds in Christ unto eternal life. Amen. We skipped the creed before, so speaking of what we should believe, let us please rise and confess our Christian faith. I believe in God the Father Almighty, 